Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, going to the, the, the issue of a duty, Your Honor, I struggle with that. It, I, I admittedly, it's difficult to, to say what it is. And that's why I'm saying there was a course of conduct that they did that was outrageous, culminating, in my view, in a statement that was made by their attorney, who, as Your Honor pointed out, is their agent. And what that attorney said in particular is telling. So there's no question that he represented uh, that he was making that statement on behalf of the laundries because he says, um, it is our understanding that a search has been organized for Miss Petito in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming on behalf of the laundry family. It is our hope that the search for Ms. Petito is successful and that Ms. Petito is reunited with her family. That statement was issued with the full knowledge and consent of the laundries, with the full knowledge on the part of the laundries that Gabby was not alive and that Gabby's body was located somewhere out west. And instead, they make a statement saying, we hope you find her. We hope you're reunited, giving them false hope that perhaps their daughter is still alive. If that's not outrageous, Your Honor, I don't know what is outrageous. So I think when you talk about their affirmative duty to speak up, I struggle with that. But they did speak up. And when they spoke up, they made that very callous, that very terrible statement, giving hope to Joe and Nicole that perhaps Gabby was still alive with full knowledge that she was not. And Judge, When I, when I talk about the course of conduct, I want to talk about some of the cases uh, that I cited in my uh, uh, response to the motion where the court found that there was outrageous conduct. And I don't see how any of these cases are any, by any stretch of the imagination worse than what happened in this particular case. In the McAlpin versus Sokolay case, a patient went to a hospital to have an x-ray done. She put on a hospital gown. She walked into the x-ray room, and the minute she walked into the room, the doctor began berating her in front of other staff because she hadn't paid another doctor's bill. He told her he wasn't going to treat her, and he told her that he was going to call security and have her removed from the hospital. That, according to the court, was outrageous. In Nims versus Harrison, a teacher, the stu two students of the teacher, uh, wrote, published, and circulated a newsletter in which they Uh, had an article called Low Life, and they referred to that teacher in offensive uh, language, threatened to kill her, threatened to rape her, threatened to rape her children, and threatened to rape their cousins. Outrageous. Ford Motor Credit Company versus Sheehan. Collection agent is unable to locate the debtor. 
contacts the debtor's mother, tells the debtor's mother that she's from a hospital out in California. She's trying to locate the debtor because two of the debtor's children have been in a serious car accident, and she wants to find the debtor so that she can let him know about this accident. The son speaks to the mother later that day, hears the story from the mother, spends the next seven hours calling hospitals and police departments out in California, only to find out that this story was false. That was outrageous. The dependable life insurance company versus Harris case was talked about previously. In Liberty Mutual versus Stedman, the company delayed authorizing a lung transplant even though a judge of compensation claims had already ordered that they pay for the lung transplant. The carrier knew she would die without the lung transplant, so hoping the problem would go away, they denied payment in an effort to intentionally induce stress on her part to speed up her demise. The court said, under the totality of the circumstances, it's outrageous. Williams versus Mineola, and it's these two last cases that I'm going to cite the court to that I think are most instructive here. In Williams versus Mineola, police officers attended the autopsy of a teenage boy who had, who had been murdered, murdered or committed suicide, and they were there. Uh, with a videotape, a video camera, and a camera to record it because... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the suspicion of crime may have been committed. They took that video. They took that, those photos, and they took them to a party. And at the party, they shared them with other persons, including other police officers from surrounding jurisdictions, and they laughed and they joked about uh, what was in those photographs. The court found that to be outrageous, and here's what the court said. As for what is outrageous or reckless or what is not, we emphasize that our society, as reflected, for example, in decisions of the courts of Florida cited earlier in this opinion, shows a particular solicitude for the emotional vulnerability of survivors regarding improper behavior toward the dead body of a loved one, and the special deference paid by courts to families' feelings where rights involving dead bodies are concerned is central to our decision. This area is unique, and once it has entered behavior which in other circumstances might be merely insulting, frivolous, or careless becomes indecent, outrageous, and intolerable.
One obvious reason is that the bereaved are already suffering psychic trauma because of the loss of a loved one and are especially sensitized to any disrespect or indignity directed at the deceased body or a representation of it. The potential for severe emotional distress is enormously increased in that situation. All of this is well known to the ordinary person, and so a level of carelessness or callousness, which might not be considered tortious in other situations, can show outrageousness and recklessness when a dead body or a picture of a dead body is involved. Well, Mr. Riley, how is a statement, we hope this search is successful, how is that in itself outrageous? It's a lie. It's said with knowledge that there's no hope of finding her alive because she's dead. It's said with, with an intention to give false hope to a, to a family that their daughter may be alive. That's outrageous. This is, and at this particular point in time, they had been begging the, uh, uh, the laundries to tell them where their daughter was, and this is the statement that they issued the one time they chose to speak up. This was the statement that they issued, a lie that gave false hope to, to Gabby's parents that perhaps she might be alive. The other case, Your Honor, that I think is instructive is the Thomas versus Hospital Board of Directors case, and I think this one may be even more um, instructive. In that case, uh, during a, uh, a, I believe it was a hip transplant surgery, the decedent died. She died of cardiac arrest. What she really died, the real reason she died of cardiac arrest is because she was given an overdose of a particular medication during the surgery. And the doctors and the nurses agreed that they would not report the true reason for why she died. They would say that it resulted from complications of surgery. As a result, a complete autopsy was not done. The body was released to the family, and less than a week later, as the decedent's daughter was trying to bury her mother, she received a telephone call from the, from the medical examiner saying, you need to bring that body back immediately. We have to perform a complete autopsy. Again, the court said that was outrageous. And what the court said was, we believe that the appellee's conduct in making false statements, and isn't that what Mr. Bertolino did on behalf of the laundries here? We believe that the appellee's conduct in making false statements which led to the interruption of Mildred Thomas's funeral and the return of her body for a second, more thorough autopsy rises to the level of atrocious and utterly intolerable behavior which cannot be condoned in a civilized society. As noted in Stedman, when an actor has knowledge that the other person is peculiarly susceptible to emotional distress, and the Laundries knew that because this family publicly said they were distressed trying to find their daughter, the actor's conduct may become heartless, flagrant, and outrageous when the actor proceeds in the face of such knowledge. We believe that in a situation where a person's loved one has died, it would be apparent to anyone that the person would be susceptible to emotional distress and therefore that the action of providing false information concerning the loved one's cause of death meets the standard for a claim of outrage. In this case, they provided false information, a, a false impression, knowing that Gabby was dead, that she was still alive and she could be found by the family if they were searching in the right place. So I, I also think under the restatement, restatement of tort section 46, comment F says, 
the extreme and outrageous character of the conduct may arise from the actor's knowledge that the other is peculiarly susceptible to emotional distress by reason of some physical or mental condition or peculiarity. The conduct may become heartless, flagrant, and outrageous when the action proceeds in the face of such knowledge where it would not be so if he did not know. And that's basically what the Williams court was saying, and that's what I'm saying in this instance. The Laundries knew of, this, of the fragile emotional state of Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt at the time that that statement was issued. They knew that she was not alive. They knew that the family was hoping to find her, and they put out a statement as though they were supporting them, saying, we too, we know she was our son's fiance. Uh, and, and we hope that you find that body too, or you find her and the family is reunited, excuse me. That's callous. That's callous, it's shameful, and it's outrageous. And by the way, the only reason that Mr. Bertolino is not a defendant in this action is because he's not a citizen of the state of Florida. I think there's also support for our position under uh, comment E to the restatement which says unequal position of the parties in a relationship where one asserts and has the powers to affect the interest of the other may also supply the heightened degree of outrageousness required for a claim of intentional infliction of emotional distress. Here, the de defendants clearly had the power to affect the interest of the plaintiff because they could have told them where her body was located and they chose not to do so. Your Honor, I'll I don't think there's any question, there's been nothing raised, at least by counsel in his argument, that the conduct didn't cause severe emotional distress to my clients. Um, to the extent that they would suggest and, and have suggested, well, they were already distressed anyway. Um, so all we did was increase their harm. I guess it's okay to kick someone when they're down, according to the laundries. Um, but going back to those two cases that I cited earlier, involving dead bodies, the, the parties were already grieving, and it was the conduct after death that the court found was outrageous and permitted, uh, uh, permitted the case to move forward. So I think we have the issue of uh, uh, their conduct was intended to harm, or certainly what they did, they should have known was likely to cause severe emotional distress to my clients. We clearly have uh, uh, an outrageous conduct on their part. I think we have uh, established that uh, the conduct caused more emotional distress. It doesn't have to be the, uh, the only cause of their distress. If it increases, that's sufficient to recover. And I don't think they, they're uh, contesting at all that the emotional distress was severe. So I'll move on to the uh, suggestion that the defendants get to raise affirmative defenses at this point in time. Well, and, and thank you for doing that, because my question there is, I mean, the rule is that I can address it if it is apparent on within the four corners. And effectively, you allege conduct, which arguably could be considered criminal on behalf of the defendants. So why can't I consider the laundry's constitutional right to remain silent and other constitutional rights 
within the context of ruling on this motion to dismiss. Well, Judge, I'm curious to find out what conduct it is that the complaint says the laundries committed that was potentially criminal. So if the answer is they were harboring a fugitive, there were no charges, again, we're outside the record, uh, but to my knowledge, or outside the four corners of the complaint, but the complaint doesn't allege that there were any charges pending against uh, uh, Brian Laundrie at the time. So they couldn't have been harboring a fugitive. Um, are they? I'm not sure the absence of charges is the criteria that we use. Well, it, 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 Judge, what this is forcing me to do to address that is to go outside the record, which is not what we're supposed to do, um, to say he wasn't running. According to everything we know, the police knew where he was. So he wasn't a fugitive, so they weren't harboring a fugitive. I don't know what, what were the accessories after the fact. I don't know. Is there something they want to confess to? I'm happy to hear it, but I don't know that anywhere within the four corners of the complaint there's a suggestion that the laundries were under investigation for a crime or that they had committed a crime. So, first of all, I think I, I, we shouldn't even be considering this as an affirmative defense. Uh, secondly, I, you can't look at the complaint and determine was there an investigation into them uh, and what were the crimes. So I don't think the Fifth Amendment applies. If we turn to the First Amendment, I will tell you I strongly disagree with counsel's assertion that it applies in all instances. The defendants rely on Woolley versus Maynard for the proposition that they have a constitutional right to say nothing. But Woolley says that the right of freedom of thought protected by the First Amendment against state action, state action, includes both the right to speak freely and the right to refrain from speaking at all. And we're not talking about state action in this case. The defendant says we're asking the court to force the defendants essentially to say something. That's not what we're doing. We're seeking damages for, for their conduct. More importantly, the First Amendment doesn't... Uh, uh, Mr. Riley, though. I want to direct you back to uh, paragraph 30 of your complaint where you say that the defendants were keeping the whereabouts of Brian Laundrie's secret and it is believed were making arrangements for him to leave the country. So that's something that the plaintiffs themselves injected into the case. So that's the basis of my question is now that you've put that fact into the four corners of the complaint, isn't that the basis for me to consider without having to need a affirmative defense filed, if you will, the constitutional rights of the laundries? Judge, what's the crime committed there? What's the crime if they are, if they are making efforts to try to remove him from the country? He's not been charged with anything. He's not a fugitive. There, there's not, that itself does not suggest that they were committing a crime. There has to be an underlying uh, basis. If, if the complaint said there was a warrant out for Brian Laundrie's arrest and the Laundries were putting, uh, moving money around to try to move him out of the country, I agree with you wholeheartedly that you could consider, arguably consider, a Fifth Amendment argument in this case. But there's nothing in there to indicate that there was any criminal conduct on the part of the defendant. There's a statement that says they were moving money around to try to get him out of the country. Is that, is that unlawful as it's pled in this complaint? No, it's not. Okay. 
going back to the First Amendment issue, Your Honor, um, it doesn't set forth an all-encompassing right to remain silent. Only where through state action they are being asked to espouse a religious, political, or ideological cause which they do not support do they have that right. And I will cite to you from one of the cases in uh, my brief, the, or my motion, the Overbay case, which says, freedom of speech includes both the right to speak freely and the right to re refrain from speaking at all. At its heart, the right to refrain from speaking is concerned for preventing government from compelling individuals to, to mouth support for views they find objectionable or mandating speech that a speaker would not otherwise make. In other words, the court continued, the right to refrain from speaking limit, limits the government's ability to sanction or override a private individual's preference for not making certain speech. Not all speech, certain speech. So let's look at Overbay. Mr. Riley, you have five minutes left, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. Are the laundry suggesting that, it, that we're seeking to compel them to mouth support for a view they find objectionable? Do they find it objectionable to tell a grieving family where their daughter's body is located and that, they're no long, that she's no longer alive? Do they find it, do they believe they, uh, that they would have a, a, a personal individual preference for not making a statement that they knew where the body was located? That's ludicrous. The First Amendment does not apply in this particular circumstance. We, we pointed out that they contacted counsel to show a course of conduct and to support the, the, our proposition that they knew that Gabby was dead and that they knew where her body was located as of August 28th. They immediately contacted an attorney. I get back to the where is the, the duty, and, and certainly there's no legal prohibition on calling a lawyer. I'm not, Judge, I'm not going there. I'm not suggesting, I'm saying that goes, that's uh, support for our position that they knew. That's, that's circumstantial evidence in my view, that's why it's in the complaint, goes to show that at that point in time they knew. I'm not being critical of them retaining an attorney. I'm not suggesting they shouldn't have. I like the fact that they retained Attorney Bertolini, and Attorney Bertolini said what he said on September 14th of 2021. So we're not saying they shouldn't have hired an attorney. We're not saying hold it against them for hiring an attorney. I'm simply saying they hired one immediately after getting a phone call from their son, who then returned home without Gabby. Circumstantial evidence to show that they knew. That's, that's the only reason that I raised, the, uh, uh, raised that issue about them hiring a lawyer. Your Honor, unless you have any other questions, I believe I've, I've covered everything I wanted to cover. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Luca, uh, I'll give you two minutes for any brief, brief uh, reply, but let's keep it to two minutes. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. Um, Your Honor, one thing I would, I would point you to, with regard to that city of Mineola case, um, Your Honor, there's a second DCA case, United, or I'm sorry, Crenshaw versus Sarasota County Public Hospital Board. I think it's cited in both my motion and the, um, and, and the plaintiff's brief. Uh, and in that case, Your Honor, that case also involved a dead body, a stillborn child. And basically what happened is after the child was born, deceased, um, somebody within the hospital 
mutilated the child and ended up get, going down a laundry chute. Um, and in that case, Your Honor, um, importantly, the, the court noted that obviously if the mother had, had witnessed all of those terrible things that happened to the child, that might be one thing. Um, but the court noted that the physically injured party should be directly involved in the event causing the original injury. If such a person sees it, hears it, or arrives on the scene while the injured party is still there, then that person is likely involved. And then they go on to say, here, appellant did not allege that she saw the mutilated body or that she was involved in the event, except for the birth of the stillborn child in any way. So, and Your Honor, uh, that Stedman case was cited in Mineola, uh, and, in, and, in, and in Mineola, the, the fifth DCA said that we, to the extent that, that Stedman conflicts, they're not going to follow Stedman. But Stedman would control here because it is a second DCA case. Um, and lastly, Your Honor, um, I didn't raise this, uh, get time to raise this initially, but I would point your, point your honor to um, another important case, which is um, MM versus MPS. It's a third DCA case from 1989, again, cited in the papers. And although not perfectly anal analogous, um, that case is instructive, instructive um, because it involves uh, the parents suing the defendant for something that was done to their daughter. Um, and in that case, uh, the defendant told the parents that he had sexually abused their daughter, but obviously the parents were not present for the abuse. Um, in that case, the court found that the appellants were not present when the alleged mistreatment of their daughter took place and may not claim emotional distress for her in injur injurious or offensive treatment. Now, the, the, um, the plaintiffs countered that um, the disclosure of the treatment was, of their daughter was what caused their emotional distress. And the court said, after reviewing the law, we are unable to conclude that learning the awful truth from, from the defendant afforded appellants grounds for recovery for their own distress. And the court said, if courts were to allow relatives of tort victims compensation for the distress they suffer when they receive bad news about family members, when there is no attendant intentional or reckless conduct directed toward them, an avalanche of litigation would ensue. Compensation is available for actual harm to the victim. Only in carefully prescribed circumstances is compensation permitted for relatives who suffer emotional distress. It is not lack of compassion, but necessity that restricts relief to the immediate victim. Uh, and Your Honor, in this case, I, I would just submit to Your Honor that allowing a cause of action like this to proceed would create an avalanche of, of litigation that, that the tort was never intended to cover. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you both for your arguments. I will do my best to get a written order out uh, within a few weeks of today. Uh, anything else in this first case before we recess the first case? No, Your Honor. No, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, may I be excused? Uh, yes, sir. I, I don't represent any parties in the second case, so. That, that's fine. While he is, while Mr. Luca is cleaning up, is there anybody that's going to be here in the second case, which is Nicole Schmidt as administrator of the estate of Gabrielle Verona Petito versus Barry F. Spivey as curator of the estate of Brian Laundry, case number 2022-CA. 2115SC. Your Honor, uh, Patrick Riley on behalf of Nicole Schmidt as personal representative of the 
uh, estate of Gabrielle Petito. Okay. And has anyone appeared for the respondent? No one, uh, to my knowledge, has appeared. As Your Honor knows, um, Attorney Spivey, uh, there was an order entered at the request of Attorney Spivey that because it was the Laundrie family who filed the objection to the claim that was made against Brian Laundrie's estate, they should defend the action. An order was entered appointing them ad litem to defend the action. Um, it's been more than 20 days since I served the complaint on Mr. Spivey, but out of an abundance of caution, I'm giving the uh, laundries a period of time to respond, although the information that I have is that they are not going to and that a default will be entered. Okay. Well, uh, Deputy Velez, if you could sound the halls for Barry Spivey as curator. Thank you. The And you were a jury trial complaint, I believe? I did. Okay, so um, we'll then have to have a jury trial on the issue. Yes, Your Honor, we would be prepared to proceed to trial on that matter quickly. Okay, well, I mean, it's a little premature relative to no default, but Without my trial calendar here, Your Honor, I'm not certain, but probably more likely. Case managements in the future, you can bring your trial calendar. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll wait and see whether you you obtain a default or if someone appears. Obviously, if someone appears, I want you all to. Management and set, um, and so that we'll get um, the case rolling. If you end up having a a default, then we can set a, a trial. I don't think we necessarily need a another case management. Yeah, you know, we've got a November fourteenth, uh, December twelfth. Uh, then we'll. In the new year, see. I can look at my calendar now. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I can't set a trial right this second because there's no default. True. Okay. But the the, the reality is, because you uh, requested a jury trial, we're going to have to impanel a jury on it, assuming that you're going to proceed with the case. I mean, obviously, if you decide not to proceed with the case, then we don't need to have it. But we'll we'll call a jury 
and uh, we'll go there. Go from there. Very well. It's just you know I'm trying to figure out you know with all the other trials going on here and which judges are going to be here when you know just need to start planning these things out. I I, I hope that doesn't mean what I think it means, but for next year. Oh, I have no idea where uh, which judge is going to be here in 2023. That's the chief judge's prerogative. Understood. Yeah. So I will not reset a case management if uh, Mr. Spivey or an administrator shows up. I'd ask that you go ahead and uh, do a case management order and send it in uh, a report. If it is a default, uh, send. Uh, send my judicial assistant uh, word that the default has been entered and a couple of dates on our trial calendar where you're looking for the trial to be had and then we'll go from there. Thank if, uh, assuming that that there is a default, how many days of trial are you anticipating? One to two at the most. I, I, the witness I, list will be short. I suspect jury selection will take us a little bit of time. Well, that, yeah, that's why I was saying one to two, because I think I could try the case in a day. Okay, with that, we're going to be adjourned for the afternoon. Thank you all very much for being here and have a good afternoon. Thank you, Ron. You as well.